And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to Carson Sack Podcast, episode number 67. We have a college football bowl pick'em of every single bowl that is happening this year. We've got some NFL talk as the playoffs inch another week closer and a little bit of golf talk. We have a mail sack that is going to kick off the show as it usually does. And we have some college basketball to discuss at the end of this episode. It's probably going to be a longer one. Strap in. Get ready. It's going to be a good one. So I'm going to keep this intro a little bit short. I do need to remind you all, as I feel like I have to, to like, rate, review, subscribe, and all that other good jazz on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever else you get your podcast from. Let's let's just skip all the other stuff. Let's get right into the mail sack for this week on episode 67 of Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. The first question in this week's mail sack comes from Micah Eastham who asks, should the NFL take weed off bannable substances? When you look at what... The NFL allows players to use for pain management and recovery. And then you look at marijuana and there are certain benefits to marijuana that players have spoken about and have said. And there are scientific things that go along with the benefits of marijuana that these other types of medication that NFL players can prescribed and can use that the marijuana the side effects um, not being addicted to painkillers that sometimes happens to NFL players things like that they you would think the NFL would be a little bit more progressive in that into that type of medical treatment at which they aren't a lot of guys might just be using marijuana recreationally or there's probably more that aren't getting drug tested or getting caught with the drug test because I know they do do random drug tests and whatnot in the NFL, but um, if you're smart about it and you don't call attention to it, I think they don't really go after you as heavily. But, I mean, look, like you look at Josh Gordon, he just got suspended again for another substance issue which is upsetting but if you look at everything that former players have said and how some of them have used marijuana and CBD and all this other stuff with pain management and then you look at the progression that certain states are making um, medically legalizing marijuana and some states recreationally legalizing marijuana. You would think that the NFL would be sh- 
doing that by now, but I think they don't want this image, and I don't think they want kids seeing, like, players coming out and saying, oh, I smoke weed, and then that getting a stigma on the league or a stigma on a player where kids feel like, oh, I have to smoke weed so I can be like, let's just throw out a name that might smoke, Calvin Johnson. I don't want, I don't think they want that, where they want kids to hear, oh, Calvin Johnson smoked weed, so I have to smoke weed. I don't, that's something I think they want to stay away from, and I think it's going to be pretty hard that say if, like how in Denver with the Broncos, how in Colorado, marijuana recreational use is legal, and I think the NFL, if it ever gets to the point where marijuana is decriminalized um, federally and it's legal everywhere, it's going to have a hard time saying to players and to just the world, well, if the government doesn't think it's bad enough to be illegal, we really can't. So, long answer to a very short, obvious question that I think should be, yes, marijuana should be off the bannable substances and players should be able to use it because it's a lot better side effect wise and everything else wise for players. Next, Davis Canapel, who continues to ask Brown's questions, asks, who do you hire to replace the absolute shit show Freddie has left behind? This team has no discipline. They want out. They hit people in the head with their own helmets. Who can save them? Lincoln Riley, Ron Rivera, Andy Fry, um, Mike McCarthy. I think there was a little special about him a couple weeks ago on ESPN about how he has taken the year off and still been heavily involved in sport, in the sport, in the aspect of coaching. I think he would be a really good hire just because offensively, I think he can do what Freddie wants to do. I think offensively, Mike McCarthy is what Freddie Kitchen wants to be, if that makes sense. I'm not saying he models the coaching style on his offense after Mike McCarthy, but how Mike McCarthy in Green Bay for a while there was extremely like thought of as one of the best offensive minds, and then things started going sour with Aaron Rodgers, stuff like that. I think he can be the discipline that Freddie has lacked, and I think he can bring the tweaks to the offense that and the play calling to the offensive to the offense that Freddie has lacked. So I think Mike McCarthy, but apparently, um, since the time of Assis, the Browns front office has said they are going to keep Freddie Kitchens. So unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, that's where we're at in the Freddie Kitchens saga. Then we have a question from Addy Miners who asked, Do you think Joe Burrow can save the Bengals if he gets drafted there? Will he beat out Andy Dalton if he gets drafted there, or will Dalton leave? I imagine they are going to let Andy Dalton walk or try and trade him, seeing as they benched him earlier this year to see what they had in Ryan Finley. Um, Joe Burrow, I definitely think 100% if you take him number one, would probably be that team's starter, but maybe they don't want to go and rush him into it so they could do a situation where for like four to six weeks or so they back off of and say no we're gonna sit him we're gonna make sure he's ready all this other stuff and then when things keep going south for them uh the Bengals they'll end up putting Joe Burrow in and I do think they're gonna end up taking him 
Joe Burrow being from Athens, you have the hometown connection. That'll move tickets. Um, you're going to have the face of a franchise immediately when you draft a quarterback, especially at number one. So I think he could... I think he would be better than Andy Dalton. I think if Andy Dalton is still on the team, though, they're going to try and make sure, oh, like Joe Burrow's ready, they might play that game where they don't start him immediately, but he's still there. And then um, I, if Andy Dalton does leave, the Bengals need to try and trade him and get as much value out of them as he can. The next question comes from Zach Berger, who asks, who do you have as the frontrunner for the MVP in the NBA so far? Really, I think it comes down to the last two winners of it, Giannis and James Harden. You look at what James Harden does scoring, and it's right up there with some of the best scores ever. And even though it's controversial how he does it, um with all the fouls and all the shots he takes and all that other stuff. Um, I get that brand of basketball is not for everyone, and most people dislike it. Or you look at Giannis, whose numbers have improved um, ever so slightly, but still improved last year from NBA um, MVP season, which is also hard to do, where you have what is statistically the best season of your career, and you're continuing to improve on those. So right there, I think those two are... Up at the front, I think Luca for like that two-week span where everybody was off him about all his triple-doubles, I think he was up there for a while. LeBron will always be in the conversation but never win it because he's not, like, they, I just think people have a thing against LeBron. Anthony Davis is a name to keep on, like, just on the back burner. I don't think he's going to win because I think of, like, they think of the Lakers as LeBron's team and all this other stuff, blah, blah, blah. But Anthony Davis will probably have a stretch in the season where he just goes off. He had 50 um, since the last recording of my podcast, which is two weeks. So he had 50 points within then, single-handedly helped them will them to a win um, in a game and another one. So Anthony Davis, I think, he's not going to win it, but should be kept in the conversation. Um, but I think, honestly, it comes down to... Um, again, the two MVPs from the past two years with Giannis and James Harden. The next string of questions come from Polly Marino, who we always appreciate her reaching out and sending in questions. She asks, so what's the deal with Mike Vick being in some sort of powerful, honorable position? What are your thoughts? He's not really in. I explained this to her. Yeah, he's not really in this some honorable, powerful position. Um, he was recently brought up because Lamar Jackson ended up breaking his single-season rushing yard record for a quarterback. And um, people don't really – I mean, some people do, obviously, because – what he did with the dog fighting situation was terrible and extremely sad and violent any other bad um any other bad words you want to throw out there i would 100 percent agree with um but he also afterwards did his due diligence with um apologizing and reworking his image and seeming sorry that a lot of people have moved on and over like gotten over that and stuff and that's their personal opinion um my thoughts are i think what he did was terrible but people can change he seems remorseful for it um he's 
caused no tr- issues or trouble since he got out, and that wasn't talked about and handled, and he went to jail and paid for um, his actions, so I have no issues with Michael Vick. Then she asked, do you think in soccer PKs are a good determination for a winner? No, and yes, PKs are probably some of the most exciting things in sports, all of sports. I mean, you get a World Cup game, you get a Euro Cup game um, down all the way to PKs. First off, those 90 minutes of action and then the extra 120 minutes, not 120, but you play up. So the extra 40 minutes, excuse me, the extra 30, I'm bad at math, 90 plus to get to 120 from 90, it's 30. Um, those minutes are extremely tension and action-packed and all that. And then you come to PKs, and those are extremely stressful, and they have you on the edge of your seat, and I love that. But it's also, one team could be of dominating the game, and the other team could have gotten a breakaway goal, lucky goal, anything like that. I don't know what the fuck it's called. But they could have done that. And Team A has outclass and outplayed team B but because team B got lucky off of that one and then say team B continues to just rifle off and wins the penalty shootout team A that has dominated the game in every other aspect besides the scoring which soccer it's fucking hard to score people barely do it um there there is some issue to it I would prefer to do like first goal wins after the extra 30 minutes of added time for um, overtime. But if not, that's fine. I'm still fine with Team PKs. I don't think there's a... I don't have an issue, a big enough issue with PKs for me to go out of my way and start a coalition to change it. Um, what is LeBron's greatest strength and greatest weakness? His greatest strength is his selfishness. Selfishness. He... His ability to elevate the play of players around him is unmatched. Um, His biggest weakness, um, LeBron, I I can't think of a weakness for LeBron James. Um, I just can't, sorry. His free throw shooting, there you go. And then she asked, thoughts about Lizzo at Lakers game? Put some pants on. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it was Beyonce or Rihanna. Put some pants on. There's children there. I mean, they don't need to see that. All that that black hole abyss known as Lizzo's butt. No one needs to see that. We didn't ask for that. Those seats cost a lot of money. They don't want just bare butt cheeks on those. It's certainly not in Staples Center. You might be able to get away with that at Banker's Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, Indiana. Go to the Rockets. They've invited you. Why don't you just wear no pants there again? Could probably get away. And then she, before she went to the freaking Timberwolves and was, I fucking Carl Anthony Towns. Lizzo needs to settle down. Oh, there are rumors that she's going to headline Bonnaroo. And if a music festival that I'm going to go to has someone like that at it, what am I doing with myself? I'll tell you that. But I do like Lizzo's music. She's really talented. Um, very good like those a lot but uh put some pants on i don't care if you're lizzo you can't just show up to a game with your butt cheeks out like that it's very inappropriate our next question comes from jeff prifty who asks 
can you give your take on old man golf riders versus foreplay? Foreplay is a breath of fresh air, in my opinion. For those of you that don't know, foreplay podcast is a golf podcast that is pretty good. Made in junction with Barstool Sports, hosted by Riggs, Trent, and Frankie Borelli. Um, they were at the President's Cup and got a couple videos, and one big one is the second time they've really hung out and talked with, not really talked with, but interacted with Tiger Woods, where he's walking by and giving them high fives and knuckle pounds and daps and stuff like that. Very cool moment for them, would be a very cool moment for anyone, it's Tiger fucking Woods. Um, I would lose my shit too. They post that video of that happening, of that interaction, and then they get attacked by... Uh, pretty much what Jeff is saying, old heads and stuff on golf Twitter and golf media that don't like what they're doing. Um, Fanboys is what one of them was called and how they were perceived by one of the media members. Couple things. I have no problem with how they reacted to that moment. It's Tiger Woods. Like, he's a legend. I would lose my shit if that ever happened with me. Um, Another thing. How they approach the game and with their personalities and their following, um, it is going to get people involved. And golf right now is a shrinking game, not at a percentage where things are, golf is ever going to be dissolute or non-existent, but it is a shrinking game. It is hard to get younger people involved in golf right now than it was 20 years ago when Tiger Woods was there and was so cool and everything like that. It's harder to get people involved. Um, They are probably doing a very good job making golf seem much more cooler and accessible and things like that to younger people or just Regular people in general that might not have had an interest, the way they present things, the way they talk about things on their podcast, it seems more of a conversation rather than this stout, like, very proper type sport. I will say on the other end of, this isn't me siding with the old people on Twitter and the old media members, but... The things that foreplay does, um, they say buy the common golfer for the common golfer, all that stuff by the common man for the common man an extension of what Barstool does they play a shit ton of nice courses that not every common man is going to be able to do and I wish they would lean a little bit more into that of playing more accessible courses than what they do and at times Frankie Borelli comes off as a dick about playing all these nice courses or these other interactions they have Um, I get I don't think he means to and sometimes he might, but there are times when he comes off like an asshole. But all in all, what foreplay is doing for the sport of golf is great. Um, I side with them 100%. I'm an ab listener of their podcast. I enjoy their podcast, and I enjoy how they're helping grow the game and make it more accessible to people. The next question comes from Meredith Edlin, who asks, What do sports mean to you? I'm going to try and stay away from the cliche of sports mean everything to me. But sports are an extremely important facet of my life ever since I was about three or four years old. Played three sports every year since I was, I think, four or five up until my senior year of high school. So that's a lot of years. Um, On weekdays and weeknights most of the time, I'm 
structuring my night, I would say, around what sporting event is on and what sporting event I'm going to watch. Um, I'd, I don't want to, like, again, I'm not going to go with the cliche, sports are everything to me, but sports are very important to me. I have a sports podcast. Um, again, I don't know. Yeah, sure, sports are everything to me. There we go. Thank you for sending in a question, though, Meredith. I appreciate that. Glad you finally reached out. Next question comes from Evan Deaver, who asks, uh-uh, the Suns are 11-15 and 15 without their former number one pick, DeAndre Ayton. With his return tonight, this was posted on Tuesday, so are the Suns a playoff contender this year? Yeah, they were two games back or so from the seventh spot when Ayton was set to come back. I... Again, yeah, they're a contender for a potential 7th or 8th seed. I still think they can with Aiden and Booker and the way Oubre has been playing and everything like that. I like what the Suns have going so far this year. Next and last question goes to Mitch Schiller who asks, Who's most likely to play again? Josh Gordon, Antonio Brown, or Miles Garrett are all three at some point. Miles Garrett is definitely going to play again. Antonio Brown is probably, I think he's going to play again. Apparently there's been reports coming out that like 20 NFL teams would sign him right now, um, but they just haven't, which doesn't make a lot of sense if there is that interest why not go do it and then I think Josh Gordon unfortunately his see his career along with this year's season is over um with the Josh Gordon thing I said this sometimes the people around the person want them to get help more than the actual person does and wants that person to be clean sometimes more than the person does and I'm not saying Josh Gordon doesn't but I think maybe sometimes the people around him want it more than what he does and then I think he slips up and addiction is hard and I'm not I mean Josh Gordon doesn't give a fuck if I'm mad at him but like I'm not mad at Josh Gordon I'm upset and I'm sad for Josh Gordon the person because addiction can ruin lives and things like that and I want him to get better but Josh Gordon I do think is done playing in the NFL so I think Antonio Brown plays again I think Miles Garrett plays again at some point next year both of them and that answers your question that concludes this episode's mail sack thank you to everyone as always for sending in your questions it's greatly appreciated now we switch focus to the meat of this episode the college football bowl preview for every single one of them let's just get right into it on december 20th in the makers wanted bahamas bowl you have buffalo going up against charlotte in his first year as coach for Charlotte, Will Healy has done a great job. It's the first bowl game as an FBS program for um, Charlotte. Charlotte has won five straight coming in the game. Buffalo has won five of its last six. Um, Lance Leopold for Buffalo is a very good coach, very underrated coach. Um, Buffalo has a fairly good running back with Jarrett Patterson. Um, and the defense also has, I don't know if you ever heard of him, Khalil Mack, his little brother, Ladarius 
I'm sure you've heard of Khalil Mack. He wrecked shit the one time when Buffalo came to Ohio State um, and played. He was a force then. He's a force now. And his little brother, Ladarius, as I mentioned, is now on the team for them. So ultimately, I think Charlotte in the feel-good story, it's nice they got to the bowl game. It would be amazing for them to win in their first bowl game appearance as an FBS school. But I think the coaching, the running back, and Khalil's little brother, Ladarius, do end up getting the victory for Buffalo. Next up, we have the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl, where Utah State plays Kent State. And I think this really all just comes down to how Jordan Love, the quarterback for Utah State, plays in this entire game. Um, Very inconsistent up and down years. Highs have been very high. His lows have been very low. And I think he is going to come out and play extremely well in this game for Utah State as they beat Kent State in this one. This next game is the Celebration Bowl. Alcorn State versus North Carolina A&T. These two teams met in a bowl game last year, and North Carolina A&T won. This year, after for Alcorn State, um, Felix Harper, he is a he's talented at quarterback, and I think they can ride him all the way to a victory. So I'm going to go with Alcorn State over North Carolina A&T in this one. Next game, we have the New Mexico Bowl. Central Michigan, led by Jim McElwain, the old Florida coach, goes up against San Diego State. San Diego State is led on defense. This entire team is dictated by how well the defense is playing. They're led by Kavion Tizino, and he's a part of a very good front seven. Um, McElwain's offense going back to Florida at times shaky, but when it is clicking, it is clicking very well. Um, I think that there are going to be times when San Diego State tries to be a little too aggressive and force turnovers, which they've done consistently throughout this year. And McElwain's just going to have a simple little wrinkle or a simple little route or something drawn up of a matchup that he likes and they're going to be able to take advantage of enough times in this game. So I go with Central Michigan over San Diego State in this one. Next, we go to the Cure Bowl. I don't even know what that is. Um, It's Liberty under Hugh Freeze, his first time coaching in a bowl game since the Sugar Bowl in 2016 as he has gotten Liberty to its first bowl game. Liberty goes up against Georgia Southern. Um, Georgia Southern led by J.D. King, Wesley Kennedy III, and Shai Wirtz. Um, That's the the nation's number eight rushing offense. They've beaten Appalachia State, the only team that beat Appalachia State so far this year. Georgia State, they beat them by 18. I go with Georgia Southern in this one. Too much of a one dynamic rushing offense and too much power on offense. I mean, it's the number eight rushing offense in the country. Um, I don't think Liberty has the talent or the size or the speed to be able to stop that. Um, So unfortunately, Hugh Freeze loses his first bowl game since 2016 as Georgia Southern beats Liberty. Next, we have the Sherry Bundy Boca Raton Bowl. SMU versus Florida Atlantic. Um, SMU, its first 10-win season. Um, They go, they play FAU without Lane Kiffin, who has taken a job now at Ole Miss as their head coach. A little sidebar, love that hire. Swaggy Lane Kiffin is back and in a big way. Both offensive, pretty good. Um, 
the quarterback for SMU, Shane Butrell, he's played very well this year. Chris Robinson for FAU, he's played extremely well um, this year. They were able to put up the most points, I believe, on Ohio State's vaunted defense this year. Um, I do think, though, that the loss of Lane Kiffin is going to play a big enough role into this game, and SMU is going to be able to get the victory over Florida Atlantic. Moving on to the next game, we have the Camilla Bowl. Is that Camilla? Camilla. I don't know. It's C-A-M-E-L-L-I-A Bowl. Is it a person? I don't know. Is If it's in memoriam, all due respects, I apologize. Um, you have Florida International versus Arkansas State. Arkansas State has a great wide receiver in Omar Bayless who has played extremely well all year. FIU is 0-5 outside of playing Miami this year. I mean, let me rephrase that. They're 0-5 in games played outside of Miami. Um, Butch Davis, their head coach, though, is 6-3 in bowls. Um, that could help out a bunch. Uh, it's hard to go against Butch Davis and the coaching tenure like that where he has such success in bowl games, but... Um, Arkansas State is an extremely tough, disciplined team, and you have add in the X factor like Omar Bayless who can go and take over a game like this. I'm going to go with Arkansas State over FIU in this one. The next game we look at, we have the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl. We have Boise State versus Washington. I have been on Boise State their train all year, I feel like they've been extremely disrespected um, so far. Washington has looked very, very poor so far this year. Very up and down. Jacob Eason hasn't played extremely well. Their defense at times has been gettable. Um, oh, I just, it's going to be an emotional game because Chris Pearson has stepped down for Washington and they really want to win his last game, I imagine. Um, I just, I'm going with Boise State. I think they're the better, more all-around complete team and are going to play a better, more all-around complete game this one. And I, this game is going to be great. Imagine Chris Peterson to pull out all the stops. I think this is one of the games that if you can go out of your way and watch, um, what day is it? I don't know what day it is. Sorry. Um. You need to go out of your way and try and watch this game because it's going to be a very um, fun game. You've got history with Pearson being the old coach at Boise State, his last game, and then all of that. So I do, though, have Boise State winning over Washington in this one. The next bowl game we talk about now is the R&L Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Appalachia State goes up against UAB. Appalachia State led by Zach Thomas and then the running back Darrington Evans. Um, those two guys have helped lead a extremely prolific scoring offense for Appalachia State. Appalachia State's coach Eli Elia Drinkowitz, his availability. Um, is still up in the air. He was now just previously hired by Missouri to be their new coach. Um, UAB's defense plays extremely well, but I do think Appalachia State's offense is just going to be too good and too powerful for UAB to stop. I expect a very good close game, but ultimately I think Appalachia State runs away with it and dominates probably this entire second half or at least the entire fourth quarter, and Appalachia State gets a win over UAB. 
Then we move on to the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. You have UCF going up against Marshall. Um, UCF can put up a ton of points. They've done so a lot this year with their quarterback, Dylan Gabriel. Um, And then their wide receiver, Gabriel Davis, is an extremely talented, extremely um, good at playmaking. Uh, Marshall's defense is good enough where they can limit what they are going to be able to do on offense for a little while, but I think the talent um, that UCF has in the backfield, being able to complement those two as well, working in the passing game, um, I do think UCF does come away with a tough, close game win, but ultimately UCF does end up winning this one. Next, you have the SoFi Hawaii Bowl. Hawaii versus BYU. This game is at Hawaii. It's pretty much a road game for BYU. Um, and they will have Cole McDonald at quarterback. I am, uh, I'm all over Hawaii in this one. I know a lot of people... Uh, McDonald at times can be inconsistent. He's been benched at times this year, but Hawaii, when they have looked their best, he has been at the helm. So I am going to go with Hawaii over BYU in this home game for Hawaii and expect a big day out of Cole McDonald in this one. The next game, we have the Walk-Ons Independence Bowl, Louisiana Tech versus Miami, Florida. This game is taking place in Shreveport, Louisiana, practically a home game for Louisiana Tech. Miami at times has had issues coming out and getting excited to play in bowl games, going back to last year when they got demolished by Wisconsin, um, 35-3. Miami has been trending the wrong way this latter half of the season. Um, You come out with... Louisiana Tech with Jamar Smith at quarterback he's played very well this year and then the running back Justin Henderson he's been a breath of fresh air down at Louisiana Tech and they are over machines in games is Louisiana Tech so I'm going to go with and it's also Skip Holtz he's the head coach of Louisiana Tech Lou's son I don't think he has quite the lisp that his father does, but still probably a heck of a coach. So ultimately, all those factors, I take Louisiana Tech over Miami. Um, This can be a case of it being a close game and Louisiana Tech playing motivator, or Miami could come out and actually want to play and win this game, and their talent across the board could overwhelm Louisiana Tech. Um, But I see it more siding on the first option with Louisiana Tech getting the victory. Up next, we have the Quick Lane Bowl. It's Pittsburgh versus Eastern Michigan. Happening in Ford Field in Detroit, so pretty much another home game for Eastern Michigan. I don't know. I mean, let's just take a look at that, guys, when we're scheduling games. Come on. Um, Pitt is the all-around better team, but um, I could see them being maybe a little down for this game, not really feeling up to play, but... um, for Pitt, 49 sacks this year, 98 tackles for loss. Mike Glass, the third, the quarterback for um, Eastern Michigan, is a very talented playmaker. But if they're able to get after him, um, that Eastern Michigan team is going to be in trouble. And I could see Mike having a bit of a big day, but ultimately Pitt's defense making enough plays and stops when it needs to. So I go with Pittsburgh and their defense and their very quietly good rushing attack over Eastern Michigan. Next up, we have the Military Bowl presented by Northrop Grumman. 
Oh my. These bowl names are just so stupid. Not the military bowl. I appreciate the military. But like, they're going to have to say, presented by Northrop Grumman. You'll notice I paused right in the middle of that. I wanted to make sure Northrop Grumman wasn't like... A wounded veteran or something, so I had to look up who it was. It's a technology company. It's fine. I can make fun of that. Um, North Carolina, led by their freshman quarterback, Sam Howe, um, who has 3,300 passing yards and 35 touchdowns in the air, um, is going up against Temple with a very strong defense. But Temple's coach, when he was previously... um, at Northern Illinois was 0-6 in bowl games, and Mac Brown is 13-8 in bowl games. Mac Brown is going to be swaggy all over the game, all over the field. I go with North Carolina and Sam Howell at quarterback over the Temple Owls in this one. The next game we'll look at is the New Era Pinstripe Bowl as Michigan State goes up against Wake Forest. Wake Forest has won three bowl games in a row, and Jamie Newman is an extremely talented quarterback, fun to watch. Um, With how Michigan State has been trending, I just can't in good conscience pick the Spartans over Wake Forest in this one, so I go with Wake Forest over um, Michigan State. Next in the Academy Sports Outdoors Texas Bowl, you have Oklahoma State going up against Texas A&M. Chubba Hubbard is going to run all over Texas A&M. They are going to, I think, dominate Texas A&M. Um, it's going to be a high-scoring affair on both sides of the ball, but I think Oklahoma State and Chubba Hubbard are going to be too much for Texas A&M. Kyle Mon will probably have a big game as well, so I don't. I retract my statement of Oklahoma State dominating, but an extremely high-scoring game. But Oklahoma State at the end does prevail and get the win. Next, you have the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. You have USC going up against Iowa. USC has more overall talent, but Iowa has more balance. Um, Nate Stanley, the quarterback, is the epitome of game manager. Tyler Goodson and others um, on offense have contributed all year for Iowa. Oh, boy. USC's pass offense is fifth nationally. Iowa's past defense is 10th nationally. I got to go with the defense and the guys from the Big Ten. I go with Iowa over USC. Next, we have the Cheez-Its Bowl of Air Force versus Washington State. And this, whoo, boy. My whole thing with teams that run the triple option and teams like this, um, and I've said it before on this podcast, Power five teams that are good and dominant, whatnot, like a Notre Dame or Ohio State. Like Ohio State opened up against Navy a couple years ago, and they run the triple option. Air Force also runs their triple option. Um, triple options are going to cause teams that are power five and a little bit lower, like Washington State, issues because they don't have the size and speed and the talent that can just strictly overmatch the pa- the read option and whatnot. So I am going to go with Air Force over Washington State in this one, and that really pains me to say it, but that's just what I think is going to happen. Next, we have the Camping World Bowl, Notre Dame versus Iowa State. Um, Brian Kelly going up against Matt Campbell, um, who, if Brian Kelly were to get released, allegedly Matt Campbell... Keep your eye out. Um, I am going to go 
with Notre Dame and Ian Book and Brian Kelly just because they are at times more consistent than what Iowa State is. So in the Camping World Bowl on December 28th, I go with Notre Dame over Iowa State. The next game, we have the Goodyear Cotton Bowl. We have Memphis going up against Penn State. Memphis offense is extremely explosive, has been all year. Penn State has a lot on offense with Sean Clifford, K.J. Hamler, Journey Brown, Pat Ferrimuth, and a lot of others. But I just think with Mike Norvell, this last game for him as Memphis coach before he goes off to Florida State, he's going to want to go out with a huge win and continue momentum over for him into his next coaching job. And Memphis, I think, is going to be extremely charged up and ready to play this game. Um, Not saying Penn State won't care about this game or anything like that because the Cotton Bowl has such a mystique and history with it, but I think Memphis is going to be more invested and want this win a little bit more, and there's going to be some string, them, some tricks up the sleeve, if you will, for Mike Norvell in his last game at Memphis, so I'm going to go with the Tigers over the Nittany Lions in this one. I'm skipping the college football playoff games. We're going to talk about those at the end of all this. So we move to December 30th, and we have uh, Western Kentucky versus Western Michigan. I'm simply picking Western Kentucky because they are a hometown team. So we can move on from that. Next, we have the Music City Bowl, the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl. Mississippi State going up against Louisville. Mikael Cunningham is going to have a big game against Mississippi State. The running game for Louisville should also have a big game. Um, Mississippi State runs extremely well with Kylan Hill and their quarterback, Garrett Schrader. He's got 587 yards. That's going to pose a big problem for Louisville. Um, So I can see this coming down to a last possession type game. Mississippi State is going to try and control the time of possession and keep Louisville and their, I air quote, explosive at times. Offense off the field. I go, this completely contradicts my what I just said because of Western Kentucky being a hometown team. But I go with Mississippi State over Louisville. I think the run game is going to be leaned on heavily by Mississippi State, and that's been Louisville's weakness all year. So I go with Mississippi State over Louisville. Next, you have the Red Box Bowl, California versus Illinois. Illinois will have a tough time in this one, I believe, Um, Their linebacker, Dale Harding, leads Illinois with 28 takeaways. Illinois' defense has 28 takeaways, not linebacker Dale Harding. I apologize. Um, The Bears' run game is very good, and they have an extremely good uh, linebacker in Evan Weaver. I am going to go with Illinois, though, over Cal. I just think Lovey Smith, the year he's had, he needs... One more stamp of approval. One more like, hey, I fucking did this. And I think a bowl win in the Red Box Bowl is that. And I don't think anyone has ever thought of the Red Box Bowl as a stamp of approval on a year. But by God, it's this year. And Lovey Smith and Illinois end up doing it. Next, you have the Capital One Orange Bowl as Florida takes on Virginia. Um, I think Virginia's defense is going to get after Bryce Perkins a lot, and I think Kyle Trask has grown into a very good quarterback ever since he had to take over for Felipe Franks in the Kentucky game and led that comeback win. Um, 
I just think the defense from Florida is going to be too much for Perkins. So I go with Florida over uh, Virginia in this one. Next, you have the Belk Bowl. You have Virginia Tech going up against Kentucky. Um, let's see. UK with Lynn Bowden, the fourth rushing offense um, in the country, 274.4 yards per game. Against the run, Virginia Tech is 27th nationally. Um, UK's defense, able to pressure the quarterback pretty well this year, can defend against the pass um, in the secondary all right, so it's going to be pretty much who can run the ball the best in this game because I know nobody is thinking that Kentucky is going to come out and pass the ball in this one. So ultimately, I go with Kentucky over Virginia Tech when it's going to be who can run the ball and impose their will the most, and that is that's Kentucky. That's their MO this entire year. So I go with Kentucky over Virginia Tech. Next up, we have the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl as Florida State goes up against Arizona State. You know, Benjamin is an extremely good running back for Arizona State. Jane Daniels, a good dual threat quarterback for Arizona State. I like both of them. I think they're going to be too much for Florida State. So I go with Arizona State over Florida State in this one. Next up, we have the AutoZone Liberty Bowl as Navy goes up against Kansas State. Both of these teams love to run the ball, but Navy, they are 17th nationally in run defense. Kansas State is 62nd. That leads me to believe that Navy is going to be able to do a little bit more running the ball with their triple option attack against Kansas State. So I'm going to go with Navy over Kansas State in this one. Next, we have the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl as Wyoming Wyoming goes up against Georgia State. Um, Wyoming, their defense... They are 6th nationally in rushing yards allowed and 27th in rushing offense. That, to me, is a recipe for success. I am going to go with Wyoming over Georgia State in this one. Next, we have the Valero Alamo Bowl taking place in San Antonio. You have Utah versus Texas. Um, This is going to be a really good game, um, but I am going to go with Utah over Texas. Um, Utah... I think what they can do on the ground and I think they're going to come off, come out pissed off after pretty much the way they shit the bed in the Pac-12 championship game and Texas I think is going to be overpowered and overmatched and I that's hard you like it's crazy to think about. That's insane to say that about a Texas team, but Sam Ellinger will probably have a good game as well. He's just he's a good game waiting to happen. But I'm going to go with Utah over Texas in this one. Then you have the VRBO, Vacation Rental by Owner. Citrus Bowl, Michigan versus Alabama. Alabama's going to beat the shit out of Michigan. No other way around that. Next, we have the Outback Bowl as Minnesota goes up against Auburn. I like Auburn a lot in this one. The way they ended their season on a high note in Minnesota, coming down a little bit. Um... Bonix has played well. That front seven for Auburn has played well all year. They're going to be riding high after the Auburn beats Alabama win and then Minnesota coming off their last game being a loss to Wisconsin. Um, just the momentum and the way things are trending, I'm going with Auburn over 
Minnesota. Next, you have the Rose Bowl game presented by Northwestern Mutual. Oregon going up against Wisconsin. Oregon's defense is good. Wisconsin's defense is good. Justin Herbert for Oregon is really good. Jonathan Taylor is really good for Wisconsin. It's going to be an extremely contrasting style um, for this game. Oregon likes to go out and throw the ball everywhere, and Wisconsin goes out and is pretty much run-based team. It's going to be a fun game to watch. I am going to go with Jonathan Taylor and the Wisconsin Badgers. Jonathan Taylor having a huge game to close out his college career in this one as they edge out Justin Herbert and Oregon in this one. Next, you have the All-State Sugar Bowl as Georgia goes up against Baylor. Georgia, what do you know? I'm going to get on my soapbox here a little bit. Georgia, what do you know? Another big game, another year, another loss by the Bulldogs. The offense, again, pedestrian, has been all year. Couldn't keep up with LSU if LSU had its shoes tied together. That's a poor analogy, I know, I apologize. But God damn it, it pisses me off how Georgia every year gets hype trained. They get talked about so highly, and what do they do? They shit the bed and they can't win a big game. Not surprising. And also, they don't come out for bowl games that aren't, I don't want to say important, but important, for lack of a better term. Last year against Texas, they got punched right in the mouth because they didn't care. And I don't think they're going to care about this game either. So I'm going to go with Baylor over Georgia for the simple fact about that. And even maybe Kirby can't even win medium-sized games at times. Last year, the Texas game, that was a medium-sized game. They felt slighted. They felt like they should have been in the college football playoff because they had a good loss to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Well, they didn't have a great... And it blows my mind that Georgia was even fifth after they lost to LSU like they did. Disgusting. So I go with Baylor over Georgia. Maybe... Okay, that's harsh. But a lot of players are sitting out for Georgia as well, so I'm going to go with Baylor. Um... Next, we have the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl as Boston College goes up against Cincinnati. Cincinnati is the better team. Um, Desmond Ritter is going to have a big game, and Cincinnati does end up winning. Then in the Taxlayer Gator Bowl, you have Indiana going up against Tennessee. I am riding hard with Indiana in this one. Um, They have looked extremely good this entire year. Tennessee has been playing very well as of this, like, I would say the last six weeks they've been playing pretty well, but I'm going to go with Indiana over Tennessee. Next, we have the famous Idaho Potato Bowl as Ohio goes up against Nevada. Ugh. Ah, uh, let's see. Ohio hasn't really been good in close games this year. Uh, Ten points or fewer, I guess that's close. They're two and five in games this year. I am going. If it does end up being that close, I think Nevada ends up winning. Um, but Nevada is pretty banged up, and yeah, okay. I go with Ohio in this one just because of the injuries going on for Nevada. So Ohio does end up winning the game against Nevada. Then January 4th, you have the Lockhead Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Southern Mississippi versus Tulane. Tulane better, but down the stretch they struggled. It lost their last three games, five of its last six. Okay, Southern Miss's run defense, they're 18th nationally. But Tulane's rushing attack is 13th nationally. 
I'm going to go with Tulane in this one just because they had that incredible this is nothing to do. No bearing on this game whatsoever. But they had that incredible game against Houston earlier this year where they had the Hail Mary at the end. So I go with Tulane over Southern Miss. There are too many bowl games. Holy shit. Okay, next. In the last game I'm going to talk about before the uh, college football playoff, you have Louisiana going up against Miami of Ohio. I am going to go... Uh, it's hard to pick the freshman quarterback for Miami of Ohio. No. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with Miami of Ohio over Louisiana just because Miami of Ohio. All right, let's talk about the college football playoff. Uh, the number one seed, LSU, goes up against the number four seed, Oklahoma. And this one, LSU is going to be able to score a lot of points because Oklahoma's defense is also pretty bad. But... I think Oklahoma's offense is better than Alabama's offense, if that makes sense at times. I know Alabama has more weapons at wide receiver as Oklahoma only really has CeeDee Lamb and then a couple other contributing people. I get that. But CeeDee Lamb is an extremely impactful game changer. And Jalen Hurts, with his dual threat ability, is extremely good as well. Um, I think the way that Oklahoma can win this game uh, it's just going to be their offense. Their defense is going to have to, at times, maybe be able to force a turnover here or there um, or make a stop, and they just haven't done that enough this year in big games. But I think their offense is going to be able to pose enough problems to keep them in this game against LSU. But LSU is hands down the better team. They should win this game, but... Keep saying, but I could see this game turning out like the Oklahoma Georgia game from a couple years ago in the Rose Bowl, where it is extremely high scoring. Both teams on offense clicking. Joe Burrow coming off the Heisman win, well deserved, um, leading the rest of that team um, to a great deal on offense. And I could see Jalen Hurts and CeeDee Lamb going off for Oklahoma. I think it's a tight, close game. I think 48. To maybe 40 or something along those lines. Like I said, a high scoring game. But ultimately, LSU does get the win here, but in a much closer, hard fought game than what people are anticipating. Now we switch focus to the Ohio State Clemson game. I'm going to try and do this as, un as unbiased as possible. Ohio State, all year, they've people have been ca getting called and asking for them to get tested. The Big Ten game, championship game, they get tested. They are down 21-7 at halftime to Wisconsin. What does Ohio State do? They answer with a 17-point third quarter and a double-digit win in the Big Ten championship game. That was the first time all year, really, that that Ohio State team has looked beatable. But in the face of adversity, Ohio State comes out and plays maybe their best half of football all year. Um... This game is going to be the game of the year in college football, I believe. It is extremely concerning to me um, what Travis Etienne, what Trevor Lawrence, what T. Higgins, and the rest of the wide receivers for Clemson can do because you look at the mobile quarterback 
and I say that with as much sarcasm as possible, Jack Cohn was able to do um, against Ohio State. Trevor Lawrence isn't really used a ton in the run game for Clemson, but at times if he's caught upon and gets out of the pocket or anything, he's mobile enough to where he can hurt you with his legs. That is a thing that bothers me. Um, Ohio State secondary has done well and played well all year, but this is without a doubt their toughest challenge. If Ohio State can win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, they win the game, hands down. I think it is going to take a performance rivaling Ezekiel Elliott's against Alabama or against Oregon by J.K. Dobbins with a little help from Justin Fields because he was a little bit more mobile than, I mean, he's a lot more mobile than Cardale Jones was. So if those two guys can help, Control time of possession. Don't turn the ball over, which has been an issue at times for Justin Fields this year. But if J.K. Dobbins and Justin Fields can continue to move the ball, progress down the field consistently, and Ohio State can win the battle in the front seven, especially on the line of scrimmage, which I would I think they have a slight edge. Um, offensive and D-line wise, I just really do. Um, Clemson lost a bunch, and I know it's Clemson, and they are up there with Ohio State and the Alabama's LSU where they lose these guys and they just start to reload. Like, they don't lose guys. They just, they. I mean, they do lose guys, but they don't lose their identity as a team. They just find another guy and they plug them right in. But... I think there is a bit of an advantage for Ohio State to do that. Um, Justin Fields is going to have to come out and play extremely well, throwing the ball as well, so Clemson just can't key in on the run. Oh, gosh. This is a really tough game, and the more I talk about it, the more I hate having to play Clemson as an Ohio State fan. Ohio State has looked, I think, the most impressive all year, but Clemson has looked extremely good ever since that North Carolina game. Um, I'm sure Ryan Day is going to try and find wrinkles or matchups he can take advantage of. Chase Young is going to have a big game, and I, I say this with as much respect to Clemson, even though I hate Dabo Sweeney. I think Ohio State wins this game, and I think they win it by... 10 points and I, I, I'm i thinking it's closer than what the final score is going to indicate I could see Ohio State being up 3 and like Clemson needing a stop or something to get the ball back and Ohio State ending up scoring on that drive and then Clemson not being able to score again does that make sense like say there's like 5, five or 6 minutes left Ohio State's up 3 Clemson needs a stop and Ohio State has the ball they can run the clock out or score something um Ohio State scores on that possession it gets to 10 and they end up winning I think that's ultimately what ends up happening and I go with Ohio State over Clemson setting up a matchup between LSU and Ohio State and in that one I think Ohio State comes out flat out dominates against LSU and wins that and I I'm saying this with I'm trying to say this out bias but I think Ohio State can exploit what LSU has um this is just right now I will talk about what the actual inevitable whatever that matchup does end up being um before it happens 
um, after the 28th before the college football championship game. But I really just think if Ohio State and LSU do end up playing, that Ohio State's going to be able to get after Joe Burrow, and their LSU's defense is extremely gettable. I mean, Ole Miss put up a ton of numbers on them offensively. Um, Ohio State would be able to do the same, I believe, even though that's a tough matchup for anybody that does have to play LSU down there because it's in New Orleans, um, and it's practically a home game for LSU. But I just think Ohio State pulls off a close one, then a closer one than what the score is going to suggest against Clemson, and then goes and dominates against LSU. All right, that does it for the College Football Bowl Pick'em section. Hope you follow along. I'm going to follow along with my picks and tell you how I did and keep you updated on that. I'm now going to switch focus to the NFL and go through these extremely quickly, so stay with me. The Texans go to the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have been on fire lately, but I think the Texans are going to end up winning this one because they need it a little bit more than the Bucs. The Patriots go to, uh, no, the Patriots, excuse me, host the Bills. This weekend, I'm going, it's in Foxborough. It's hard for me to imagine the Patriots losing to the Bills. Both of these defenses are extremely good, but I go with the Patriots over the Bills. Next, you have the Rams going to the 49ers. I think the 49ers win this one over the Rams. The Rams are just too inconsistent at times, and Jared Goff plays poorly on the road. Next, the Ravens go to the Browns. The Browns still have a 0.08% chance of making the playoffs, but... I don't think what happened in the first game is going to happen again. The Ravens are playing much better than now than they were then. The Ravens go into Cleveland and beat the Browns. Next, you have the Steelers going to the Jets. This game scares me because the Steelers are very turnover prone, but so are the Jets at times. I'm going to go with the Steelers over the Jets in this one, led by a great showing Um by the Steelers' defense, but Duck Hodgins cannot have four fucking interceptions again like he did last week. Uh, The Jaguars and the Falcons, I'm sorry if you care about this game whatsoever. I'm going to go with the Falcons over the Jaguars. The Falcons have been looking pretty okay. I mean, they beat the 49ers last week um, as of late, so I'll go with the Falcons over the Jaguars. Next, the Saints go to the Titans. Um... The Titans need this one real bad. The Saints don't, but I think the Saints end up winning this one in a close game. But the Titans are going to keep this close, as I said, very long into this game. Maybe a last-second field goal or a game-winning drive by Drew Brees late, but the Saints do end up winning. The Panthers at the Colts, I'm going to go with the Colts because they like to run the ball, and the Panthers can't stop the run at all. The Bengals and the Dolphins, I go with the Dolphins or the Bengals. They're playing better football right now. Next, you have the Giants going to the Redskins. Um, Eli Manning's potential last game ever in the NFL. I really hope the Giants do end up winning this just for Eli to ride off into the sunset as a winner. But uh, who knows? This isn't his last game. Excuse me. It's He's got two games left. Pardon me. So, if he doesn't win this one, let him win next week. That's fine, too. Um, but I still think the Giants do win because Saquon Barkley looked very good last week. Next, you have the Lions going to the Broncos. I'm going to go with the Broncos in this one. The Lions are 3-10 and 1 this year. They look a- terrible. They let... 
Jameis Winston put up 450 yards on him last week. Can't wait to see what Drew Locke does in this one. The Raiders go to the Chargers. I go with the Raiders in this one. The Cowboys and the Eagles face off in the biggest game of the week. Whoever wins this is in first in the NFC East. I go with the Cowboys over the Eagles. I just like what they've done as of late, especially last week against the Rams. The Cowboys' best is better than the Eagles' best, um, and the Eagles really still don't have anybody that can catch the ball for them, so I go with the Cowboys over the Eagles. Cardinals go to the Seahawks. Seahawks win that one. Chiefs go to the Bears. The Chiefs are going to win that one behind a big game for Patrick Mahomes. And then the Packers play the Vikings in another huge matchup in the NFC North. Um... If there's ever a time for someone to win a big game, it's now with Kirk Cousins. So I am going to go with the Vikings over the Packers. I think the Vikings defense shows up and is able to stop Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones at times. Um, them not having Dalvin Kirk does hurt a little, does hurt a lot, honestly. But Madison, their backup is serviceable. And Kirk Cousins, if they are going to win this game, was going to have to make enough. Um, was going to have to make plays, so why not go out and make a little bit more? Plus, they do get Adam Thielen back as well for the Vikings, so I go with the Vikings over the Packers. All right, this episode's fairly long already, so I'm going to go through and do the college basketball week in advance, preview a little bit, but I'm going to do it kind of quick as well. Maryland on Thursday comes to Seton Hall. It's going to be a good game because Seton Hall with Miles Powell is dangerous and can beat anybody. Um, But I think Maryland, overall, the better team, does end up getting the victory. On Saturday, you have Ohio State and Kentucky playing in Las Vegas in the CBS Sports Classic. Um, Ohio State, their first loss of the year happening last Sunday against Minnesota. Um, If Dwayne Washington doesn't play for Ohio State, that hurts them a great deal. Um, And I think Kentucky tends to play better so far this year in the bigger games. Kentucky has a big matchup tonight as I'm currently recording this against Utah. Um, I think Ohio State with Caleb Wesson is going to be able to get and expose a little bit of Nick Richards and EJ Montgomery. And if Ohio State's other guys like DJ Carton and CJ Walker and Luther Muhammad and all those other guys can step up and contribute a little bit, Ohio State does beat Kentucky. Then you also have Kansas playing Villanova. I'm going to go with Villanova over Kansas in that one just because it seems like Kansas is due to lose here sooner or later again. Uh, Dayton, 13th in the country, plays Colorado in Chicago. That's going to be a good game. Dayton with um, OB... with the Obi Toppin. They've looked so good since Maui, but Colorado is a dangerous team, so I go with Colorado over Dayton in that one. Then St. John's plays Arizona in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Alabama Atlas Classic. What in the hell are they playing in? Um, I go with Arizona over St. John's in this one, but expect that to be a bit of a closer game than what people are expecting. And then, yeah, that's it. That does it for the college basketball preview because we got into next week and I forgot a couple in next week. It's Christmas. And then I mentioned at the top of the show I want to talk a little bit about golf and the President's Cup. And so I'm going to do that here um, and do this kind of quickly as well because I don't want to keep going and making this longer than what it needs to be. But um, going into the week, the President's Cup, um, yeah, you had like – 
Tiger Woods being the captain. Excuse me, something out of nowhere just popped up on my phone. Um, you have you had that mystique of Tiger being the playing captain and all this, and the Americans are definitely the more talented team, but um, they go down on day one, and the only match they end up winning is the Tiger Woods and Justin Thomas um, match that first day. Justin Thomas sort of getting carried, and then that second day, um, Justin Thomas and Tiger Woods once again being... Um, a pivotal matchup that they end up winning and Justin Thomas hitting a clutch massive putt at the end there. And then that's when things sort of started to turn. Tiger making a exceptional call to sit himself the entire day on Saturday. And that afternoon session on Saturday is what really got the Americans back into it and the tides started to change. But a couple things I do want to say. Royal Melbourne Melbourne, however you say it, where they ended up playing the President's Cup was a treat to watch and have the golf course where at times on the PGA with bigger tournaments besides, I guess you could say, like the Masters and stuff, like the U.S. Open, it's the course is always thought of this detrimental thing um, and it's an issue. Well, here this course just highlighted and was a key piece and a great talking point of just how it took being long off the tee, which Americans always sort of tend to capitalize on. It took that out of play. You had to miss in the right spots. You had to get yourself in the right spots in the fairway to have a good angle into the green. And then once you're on the green there, you had to hit it in the right spot and be in the right spot to use the slopes or anything like that. It was just the way the golf course was highlighted and these guys played it was beautiful and masterful to watch. It was thoroughly enjoyable. Um, again, if you missed out on it, I understand that because the President's Cup is sort of this the afterthought of the Ryder Cup. Um, but a great team event, extremely exciting. Um, uh, Glad I was so invested to it as I was. And it was night golf. Night primetime golf is... We need more of that, but we're probably not going to get that anytime soon. um, Just because of the way scheduling and things work out. So, um, again, the President's Cup was fantastic to watch. Patrick Reed really made an ass of himself all week, but redeemed himself Sunday. It's going to be hard to justify putting him on the Ryder Cup team unless he makes it on points. Because besides the singles... Um, he's been over the last two um, team competitions in cups. So much to unpack from the President's Cup, but really just gets me excited for the golf season that is soon to be coming up with the Tournament of Champions and then the West Coast Swing and all that. Um, golf is almost back. We have a few more weeks, but it is sure to be an exciting golf season. And the last thing I will say about this, I have never been more sure of anything in my life. Bryson DeChambeau is going to win a major this year, and I hope you're as happy about it as I am. Okay, that wraps up an extremely eventful, long episode 67 of Carson Sack Podcast. I thank you all for tuning in. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good shit on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcast. Thank you so much. I will be back next. Nope, I won't be back next week. We're taking the week off. Um, I want you to spend time with your friends and family for Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. Or if you don't celebrate anything, spend time with your friends and family and I'm, that's what I'm going to be doing in my 
air quote time off so i hope you enjoy and do the same thank you for listening to carson sack podcast where we talk balls and as we always end here on the sack we will be seeing one question bitch where you and i was walking now i run a game got the whole world talking king kuta everybody want to cut the legs off him kuta black man taking no loss oh yeah bitch where you and i was walking now i run a game got the whole world talking king kuta everybody want to cut the legs off him when you got the yams what's the yams the yam is the power that be